What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Providence POV. It's Joe Howie. I'm with Peter DiBiase, as usual. It's Thursday, December 14th. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be Friday the 15th. We're talking about Providence Friars tonight, beating Brown last Sunday, and taking a look ahead to their matchup against Sacred Heart this coming Saturday. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing good, my man. I'm doing good. Uh, obviously, it's been feels like it's been a while. It's only been a week since uh, the last time we recorded, but no, feels good. Providence took care of business uh, against Brown. They have another favorable matchup against Sacred Heart. One final, I guess, tune-up game, you want to call it, uh, before the fun gauntlet of Big East play. Yeah, <laughs> another uh, tune-up game. Hopefully, the Friars will finish uh, the non-conference slate strong. Um before Marquette comes to town. But uh, first and foremost, talking about Brown here. Um, Brown came to town, Crosstown Shootout. I know that's not what it's called, but I think it's cool when Xavier and Cincy brand it like that, so I'm going to steal it. Uh, the Crosstown Shootout between Brown and Providence. Providence takes it by 20 points, 74-54. Held Brown to 13 points in the first half, um, but gave up 41 in the second. Uh, it was a nice bounce-back win. The team looked uh, much more... Uh, composed and there's better synergy across everything. Um, the guys that were supposed to, you know, shine, uh, shown, um, and Corey Floyd provided a nice spark off the bench. Um, but all in all, I thought it was, um, it was what you needed in a bounce back game, especially after, you know, the wheels fall off down in Oklahoma, Brown comes to town and you know, keep in mind, Brown is coming off of uh, an emotional victory over URI, uh, just a few days prior. Um, and we kind of just, you know, unplug it from the start. Yeah, I loved how they how the fire showed up in the first half. I didn't love the second half, but it didn't really matter in, in the grand scheme of things. But it was one of those games where you and I talked about uh, the little preview we did heading into it and just, just us talking back and forth in general outside of the podcast. It's one of those games where it's a noon start, right? Yep. It's a Sunday. And it's kind of finals week for the students. So you had that factor in. So not a huge student crowd, barely any students. So you had a little bit less of the home court advantage. You also had an early start. And look, it's football Sunday. Like it's just a lot of people probably stayed in instead of going to the game. One of the games you could miss if you're looking at the schedule long term. So it's one of those games where you're like, this could be that type of game where by halftime, it's only a four to six point game and you're, not nervous, but you're just like, okay, we need a strong second half. But that was the complete opposite of what happened in this performance on Sunday. I loved that. They came out, uh, obviously traded ba uh, baskets in the first handful of minutes, but then the Friars kind of took took control, and they didn't even need a second half. But I liked the dominant factor. They won the first half 37-13. to 13. They gave up 13 points in the first half. So it's one of those games where I was like, we could have started slow, and they didn't, and they showed up. And you mentioned a couple key players, the Carters, the Doros, the Hopkins that we've mentioned multiple times this year, and we're going to keep mentioning. But Corey Floyd, loved seeing that from him. He's been very up and down uh, to start this year with some very high expectations. But I think he probably had one of his best or maybe his best all-around game. But the thing that stood out for me, Joe, that first-half performance, they let it, they let no doubt heading into the locker room at the half and they, they had they didn't have a great second half but it didn't matter 
Yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. When the buzzer sounded at the end of the first half, I, I knew this one was well in hand. Um, and even when Brown put together some scoring spurts in the second half, I knew that, you know, the game was really ours. Um, I, I didn't really ever feel that anything was in jeopardy. Um, but, you know, looking at the stat sheet, they did give up 41 points to Brown in the second half. So that <clears throat> is a little concerning uh, on one hand, but on the other hand, uh, the work that they did in the first half defensively kind of sealed the game. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a tale of two halves defensively, but I think offensively everything was consistent. Um, and, and you touched on it a little bit, but Corey Floyd, I, I think, um, you know, only 10 points, but I, I think his fingerprints were all over this one. And we almost reverse jinxed him because after the Oklahoma loss, we were kind of shredding the backcourt and talking mm-hmm. about, you know, Corey Floyd hasn't taken a lot of shots this year. And, you know, on Sunday, the shots were there for him and he was making them. Yeah. And it was, and you mentioned how the second half, like, I never thought the game was in jeopardy and I agree with you. And I'm not trying to make excuses for that second half performance because it wasn't great, but it's all one yeah. of, also one of those things when you're up 37, 13 and a half, they're yeah. college kids, right? They took their foot off the gas. It's exactly what they did. It's like, it's, it's tough it's to play pre- with the lead. Exactly. And it's pretty, it's tough to play with the lead when for a six point lead, but not when you're up. 20 plus like it's against a team that's nowhere near your talent level so it's like the crowd kind of checked out you know what i mean you get the nobody's really ch- clapping anymore because oh we went from up to 22 to up to 24 like why are we clapping you know what i mean like it doesn't yeah that point, it doesn't even matter so everyone kind of checked out a little the fans included so look was kim english in the locker room probably happy about the second half no but he's the head coach so he has every right not to be happy but us as right. fans we probably can point to more of that but I do agree. Corey Floyd was great, and he's very important to this team. People have knocked him throughout the year, and he hasn't had a great year. But you can't say that you don't need him. You're going to need him uh, in Big East games because we've kind of learned this team is maybe nine deep now with Castro and Barron, but they're very two guard. They're only two guards off the bench, and that's Garway Dual and Corey Floyd, and they're going to lean on Corey Floyd to score off the bench or yep. contribute off the bench. And he hasn't really done it this year, but I liked what he did. He was took six shots, didn't take a ton of shots, only took two threes, kind of let the game come to him. And you and I have said that not just about Corey Floyd, but about other players this year, the Hopkins yep. of the world, or even Devin Carter. You and I say when Devin Carter kind of just, and he has done this recently because Devin Carter has taken an incredible jump in scoring that I didn't think I was ever going to see from Devin Carter. But you and I mentioned we want these guys to kind of let the game come to them, not force it. They're talented enough to do that. And I thought Devin Carter <laughs> done a great job recently, but I thought in this game against Brown, Corey Floyd Jr. kind of let, kind of didn't force anything, kind of just like the shot wasn't there, I'm going to pass it up, but kind of let the game come to him. And he's good when he gets into the lane, and I think it's like Carter. They're better when they're into the lane. It's just one of those things. Yeah, I think you're right too. And if you want to take a look back to that Georgia game when Providence played without a, a true point guard, Corey Floyd did the same thing. Like he wasn't forcing shots. He wasn't, you know, trying to make shots for himself. He let the game come to him and he had 11 points. And I think what a, a lot of times the fans forget is that Corey Floyd was advertised as a defensive guard, right? Like he wasn't supposed to be a scoring uh, threat. But from what we saw towards the end of last season and from all of the 
offseason and preseason rumblings about his performance and practices and scrimmages and whatnot, I think there was an excitement and, you know, kind of a, a, a luster to Corey Floyd being this scoring threat. Um, so far this season, it hasn't been that way with the exception of two games. But if you look at those two games and more recently the Brown game, it seems like he's getting more comfortable with his role. And I think that's what you need from him, especially to your point, Peter, when this team is really seven deep. I, I know there are really nine rotational guys, but if we're talking like nuts and bolts, like a tight game, yeah, there's only seven guys that are going to log significant minutes, and Corey Floyd is number seven on that list. 100%. No, yeah, you're right. We're nine deep technically of – games, maybe blowouts, non-con games that are not competitive, but in a tight game or a close Big East matchup uh, or a tournament game or whatever, they're seven deep, and they're really not trying to push it more than that, uh, even though I thought Barron's been pretty good this year. But I thought I thought Hopkins was good. I think, obviously, it's Brown, but I thought he had an overall all-around pretty good game, six for ten from the field. I'd like to see that. I would like to continue to see that. Uh did take four threes, was one for four, did make four to five from the free throw line, and did have seven total rebounds and 17 points. I thought, and three assists and two steals. I thought he was pretty good and no turnovers. Um, yeah. And we'll get to the turnovers because if you're listening and just looking at the box score, you can get why we might have to talk about the turnovers for a couple <laughs> minutes because um, there's 18 of them and that's a lot. But I thought Hopkins, no turnovers, one of the few guys that had no turnovers that played legit minutes. And Kind of let the game come to him. And when he doesn't force threes, he's a really good player. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I won't beat the dead horse about Hopkins shooting threes, but when he's in stride or when he's wide open and his feet are set, I'm okay with it. If there's 15 plus seconds in the shot clock and he's just pulling up, I I, I really don't like it, but um Again, I, I said I didn't want to beat the dead horse, but I did anyway. Um, I, you know, he looked good. Six for 10 from the field. Uh, keep in mind, four of those attempts were from deep. So do with that what you will. But he had uh, a Bryce Hopkins performance like has been like what's been expected of him. Um, impacting the game off the glass, off the bounce, um, you know, scoring, stealing. Um, he didn't have any blocks, but otherwise um, a really good performance from him. Um all also in the paint, Oduro continues to just finesse his way to double figures every night. Um, he, he's uh, it's funny because I haven't seen him in person yet, but from what I've heard from the broadcasting booth for a lot of these games, is that he is very physical in the paint. Which, unless I'm just not catching it because of TV, like I think he's like light on his feet and uses a lot of finesse in the paint, but I could be wrong. but um, I think Oduro is playing really well. 13 points, like just a, a an average game for him. 13 points, five rebounds, two blocks, right? Like you expect that from him now. I think he has a combination of both, of the ability to be physical down low, the ability to put his body into someone, put a, a shoulder into someone. Um, but he also has the ability to have, have a nice touch. It's different. You know what I mean? Like, Joe, when you're watching the game from live – or from the or from broadcast, obviously you get two different perspectives, but I think he ha- I think it's both because I th- do think he is physical because I think he does create space. I do think he lowers his shoulder into people or in in a in a legal way or backs people down. But then when he gets to 
the ability to score, or when he goes for a shot, it's nice and smooth. So yeah. it's not clunky. He's not a a physical guy and then a clunky score. He's a physical guy and then a smooth score. He kind of has kind of both of that to his game. I think offensively, he is just he's just an old school kind of basketball player. I think he can stretch the floor from three. Like if he really has to, he will. He doesn't force them though, so it's not really part of his game if not need be. Uh, but five for seven from the field, 13 points, five rebounds. He needs to get the ball more. Yeah, he does. I think he should touch the ball. I, I hate saying this every time down the court because it's not realistic, but he should be the vocal, focal point of the half-court offense, right? Like, he needs to get a touch. If you're on a fast break or if it's a quick two-on-one or a three-on-two and you're going fast, that's totally fine. But when you slow it down, and you get into your half-court offense, Adoro has to touch the ball. Yeah. Because he's that good. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Um, he, and taking a step back here, if we want to fix some of the three-point shooting issues that the team has, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if we want to fix some of those issues, guys are need to, are going to need to get better looks. And organically what's going to happen is if Oduro starts getting the ball during every off uh, half court offensive set, they're going to start sending two, three guys down there to guard him. Like think about what happened with Nate Watson. Think like if you think about the Nate Watson senior year, AJ Reeves, Jared Bynum, Noah Horkler. And although he was a little inconsistent, Al Durham were perimeter threats, Uh, but when you gave the ball to Nate Watson, guys needed to collapse in on him because he was a guaranteed two points if he was one-on-one. If you can get that same level of attention to Josh Oduro and guys like Pierre, guys like Carter, guys like uh, Duale start getting open looks from three, I know they're not falling right now. The more open looks you get, you're going to have to make one eventually. And then when guys start making open looks, the paint's going to open back up for Oduro. I mean, it's very simple basketball, but um, it's tough when you're trying to implement a a stretch, you know, four out, one in offensive scheme that is designed on ball movement and open three-pointers. Yeah, I think if Adoro, like you said, like if he gets the ball on the block or somewhere in the paint, by the free throw line, whatever, right, you kind of have to collapse, like you said, and open threes are open threes. Uh, But no, he's been... As I think he's been more than high, he's played better than he was advertised, in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't expect this. I thought he was gonna be a solid uh player. They he was had good stats at George Mason, uh, a lot of high praise uh coming into his uh first year and his only year at Providence. But I thought I th- what he's done so far through the 10 games the Friars have played, uh, I think he's exceeded expectations. I do too. Um all right, just moving our way along here um, to the backcourt. Devin Carter had another Devin Carter-esque game, uh, 50% from the field, 3 of 7 from deep, 5 rebounds, 18 points, 5 turnovers. Uh, yeah. So Carter, uh, again, it's hard to talk about the good and the, the ugly because he is, you know, I forget which player used to call it this. I think it was Kyron Cartwright, but he's a stat stuffer delight, right? Where he's got his fingerprints all over the game. He's stuffing the stat sheet with the, across every column. 
The negative side of that is he's also stuffing the turnover column of the stat sheet. Um, and Jaden Pierre helped him with that. So, uh, you know, you, know you, you brought it up earlier, Peter, but turnovers has continued to be this team's Achilles heel. Uh, Oklahoma really capitalized on it. And uh, thankfully for us, Brown doesn't have the offensive uh, force of the Big 12 in Oklahoma, but Marquette does, and the rest of the Big East Conference has offensive force that will surely make you pay if you turn the ball over 18 times, and if half of them come from your starting one and two. Yeah, look, no way you can shape it. 18 turnovers is not a good number, right, And especially from those type of guys. Uh, when you have Pierre and Carter, your two main guards at this point of the season, uh, your two guys. It's obviously Ticket Gaines is a starter, but he's a guard, but he's more uh, kind of wing guard. He's but a wing. Your two guys that handle the ball running the offense, Devin Carter and Jaden Pierre, had a combined nine turnovers and had a combined three assists. That just can't happen. Like that's really bad. It's re- it's a really bad stat right there. And I get it. Carter's very aggressive. Pierre's very aggressive, but it, that will lose you games against. Big East teams. It's just, there's no way around it. Like, everyone knows that. And when you play, like you said, when you play Brown, it's not going to hurt you because they also turned the ball over 16 times. And I don't have it in front of me, but I don't know how many points they scored off turnovers. So they probably didn't capitalize as much as other teams would. That's a problem. Or not a problem. That's a good thing in the Brown game. But when we get to Marquette, that's less than a week away, you can't do that. You can't have your guards like that. Joe, a stat. Providence? is 281st in turnovers per game. Ouch. That is not good. And we've said some bad offensive stats. We've also said some very good defensive stats. Uh, we, and we've t- Through 10 games, we kind of, kind of can tell where this team is offensively and defensively at this moment. But those 18 turnovers, not good. Five, nine combined turnovers between your two starting backcourt players and only having three combined assists. Is an issue, and even though I thought Devin Carter, outside of the turnovers, played a pretty good game. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, and I want to bury the lead here. Devin Carter played an amazing game, right? And uh, there's a reason that his name comes up on the top of every opponent's scouting report, and that's because he's not only a defensive threat like he was last year; he is now an offensive threat as well. Um, he's moved up in scoring. Um, you know, he is. Uh, a high option now when you look at, you know, who you're giving the ball to, if you need a bucket, um, he, he played a great game and he continues to shine for the team. Um, I think holistically the backcourt and turnovers just needs to get better. Uh, this game, it was Carter and Pierre. Uh, this has been a three game stretch for Pierre now where he has turned the ball over quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I think the the real issue here is, uh, consistent play at the point guard spot. And that goes back to the Kansas state game when Pierre was hurt. And again, you're, I'm not faulting him for getting hurt. Like you, you play the hand that you're dealt. Uh, and if you're hurt, you're hurt. But the whole coming back off injury thing is now we can have two weeks old now. So we need Pierre to start picking things up. And yeah. I think English even said in the press conference, right? Like Pierre had a bad game. And it's been a stretch of bad performances for him, but it's a learning curve. So sometimes you just got to be out there and honest about it. And I I like Kim's approach to that, especially to the media, right? Last year, the guy that used to sit in that chair 
would have would have fluffed and said our guys work hard and you know made some sort some sort of fluffy you know fairy excuses to why they're playing bad with Kim it's like no they're playing bad like yeah good own it accountability like that's the best thing that you can teach them right now so for Jaden Pierre it's you got to get better and you, you got to get better soon because you have one more tune-up game before you know the big dogs start coming to town yeah there's no sugarcoating it Joe Joe Jaden Pierre has to be better right like it's there's no way to beat around the bush Kim English didn't beat around the bush like you just said and as a starting point guard for a Big East team and how we know how we've talked about this, how important that is. And look, you can say he shares the duties with Devin Carter. And I, I agree, but I do think Devin Carter is still better a little bit, a little half and half kind of off the ball on the ball kind of thing. Kind yeah. Of that, kind of that Swiss army knife at the guard position. That's what I kind of view him as. And Pierre is that pure point. And I'm not asking Pierre to be a legit scorer, right? Like he's still, I, w- I would like him to score, but he's still in retrospect, the fourth best scorer on this team. Yeah, outside of Hopkins, Adoro, and Carter, whatever whatever order you want to put it, I still think he's fourth. And um, some people may argue he's the fifth. Whatever, right? He's at least uh, maximum he's the fourth. Yeah. He needs to be better with the turnovers. You, you and I talked about this before the Oklahoma game, right? It was before the Oklahoma game. Yeah. You mentioned how he's been a little up and down with the turnovers, a little lackadaisical, and that makes him better, and sometimes it makes him worse. And then Careless he has the Oklahoma the game. Yeah. And then he had the Oklahoma game where he struggled with turnovers. He had this game where he struggled with turnovers again, and he struggled shooting. He made one three really early in this game, like really early. One of the first couple minutes of the game, Jaden Pierre makes a three, and you didn't hear from him after that besides him turning the ball over. And that sounds harsh. It it does, but it's the reality, and he needs to get back to the form he was before the injury. And – it's not like we haven't seen it and you and I are trying to speak into something, speak into existence, something that doesn't exist, right? Like you and I, are not, we're not trying to manifest uh, a good point guard here because there is a good point guard there. We know Jaden Pierre could be a good point guard. I just would love for him to have a nice solid performance uh, this upcoming Saturday against the Heart. I think it's out of everybody on this team, um, this might be the most important game for him just because – what happens after Saturday is it gets really interesting really fast and it can hit you like a bus. And I think if the point guard level is not up to par heading into Big East play, then this team, I don't want to say in trouble because I'm not going there. I'm not trying to scare people, but it makes it a little interesting. It just it complicates things. No, I, I think uh... – I won't say I agree. I won't say in trouble because I think that sounds the alarm. Yeah. But we've seen Providence teams in the past, and mind you, different coach, different offensive scheme. Um, but under the overall theme of point guard importance, we've seen Providence teams struggle in the past when there is no. Uh, designated or definitive point guard and the point guard play is the the styles and you know personnel is all over the place right like think about uh 2018 2019 david duke started the season at point guard but then makai ashton langford's dad bitched on twitter so then makai ashton langford was starting at point guard and was turning the ball over and duke was coming off the bench and then duke started and makai came off the bench and then 
Malik White started and Duke moved to the two and Drew Edwards came off the bench, right? Like mm-hmm. there were so many different combinations of point guard. And then fast forward to, and I, I know this is the COVID year and there's a bunch of asterisks all over that, but uh, you fast forward to the 2020, 2021 season, Jared Bynum is supposed to be the point guard. Oh no, he's hurt. So who do we have a point guard again? It's David Duke, but David Duke is a true shooting guard. So Alan Breed gets put into the fold, but he's also a combo guard. So, and I don't mean to (laughs) ramble here, but when you look historically at Providence teams that have had inconsistency at the point guard spot, they have not played well in, in big East play. I'm not saying that that's going to happen this year. I hope it doesn't. And I don't think that it will, but the, this plays into the larger theme here that, Jaden Pierre needs to clean it up. Um, Garway yeah. Duell is very athletic and has a lot of potential and upside, but it's only come in flashes. I, if I had to bet, he's on the roster next year. He's not a lottery pick this offseason. Right. And that's not to knock him. It's just he needs a little more developing before he's ready for you know, professional-level basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. Obviously, there's been some very good point guards that I've played. And I know you weren't not saying that, but obviously there's been some very good point guards that have come through the ranks at Providence. Obviously, Chris Dunn, obviously Kyron Cartwright, Bryce Cotton. Pipkins. um, Pipkins. We can go back to Vincent Council, um, who's one of the best passers in Big East history. Jared Bynum. Jared Bynum was good. Uh, Yeah, so there's a ton. And there's obviously a ton of point guards that like kind of fit the – you your point made the combo guard spot where it's, are they a point? Are they a two? They're probably better at the two. Right. And that's what Devin Carter is, right? Like Devin Carter fits that role. So we don't want to have to take him out of that role. Right. Like a lot of the things you mentioned were because of obviously outside circumstances, but also injuries and also not having a true point and you just putting guys in spots because you didn't have a choice, right? Like we didn't have a choice at some of these moves because, Injuries happened, or a lack of performance, or he thought a guy was a point guard. And Mikai Ashton Langford never turned out to be a true point guard. So it's just those type of things. Obviously, for Cooley, didn't work out, and I don't want to see that happen to this team because I think Jaden Pierre could be good, and I think Devin Carter is in a very good spot. And I don't know outside of Pierre if they have a true point guard because I do think Garway Duell has shown flashes and you I agree it's just flashes but like there's a couple possessions where you see how good he can be and then there's a couple possessions where you know he needs to come back for another year even though he's great on the defensive end like he's, he's a really good defender so that, good defending as he advertised just, yes he just needs to be a little more confident offensively because I think when he wants to get into the lane he gets into the lane it's just obviously it's tough when you're coming off the bench and you're a freshman and you have a lot of guys like like Adoro, like Hopkins and Carter that want the ball yeah. and they need the ball. It just becomes it just gets a little it's a little dicey over there. But I agree. Yeah. Pierre's a huge X factor for how this team plays in Big East. Uh, totally. Um <clears throat> all right. We've talked a lot about Brown. Um Providence takes that one 74-54, uh improves to eight and two on the season, undefeated, seven and zero at home. Friars were led in scoring by Bryce Hopkins with 17 points. Uh, oh, nope, sorry. Devin Carter with 18 points. Hopkins followed him with 17. Oduro had 13, and Corey Floyd chipped in with 10. The Bears were led by uh, Keno Lilly Jr. Nope, 
not even him. I'm, I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> this is what happens when you stare at a screen for nine hours a day. Yeah, uh, Nana Awasu Anane led with 15, and Kino Lilly Jr. had 13. All right. Before we preview Sacred Heart, as always, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, to get in on the fun. If you head over to the blog tab, that's where you'll find the link to this podcast, as well as links to writing pieces from our talented stable of writers. Um, if you head over to the merchandise tab, that is where you'll find formerly uh, branded Flex merch, soon incoming Providence POV merch. I know I've been saying that for a couple weeks now. I think we're just waiting for some technical stuff on the back end. But get your merchandise in the spirit of holiday and Christmas shopping. Uh, get it soon if you want it here by next Two Mondays, I think. When's yeah. Christmas? Christmas is Monday this year. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. If you want to buy Christmas, order it soon. Um, but otherwise, that's it for the ad read. All right, Sacred Heart. Saturday, Sacred Heart comes to the town. Uh, Sacred Heart is a regular at uh, the Dunkin' Donuts Center. They have played here uh, two times in the past couple of years. Uh, most recently, the 20... Uh, 21, 2022 sweet 16 team, uh, beat sacred heart at home 92 to 64. Uh, a couple of players from that sacred heart roster do carry over into this season's matchup. Uh, Nico Galette, who scored 15 the first time, uh, Tanner Thomas, who scored zero the last time and Joey Riley, who scored 11 in the last matchup. Yeah, I led the show when you when we obviously intro the show. I said this is a tune-up game, and no disrespect to uh, Sacred Heart, and obviously you don't want to take any game lightly. Uh, it's college basketball; you never know. But Sacred Heart sitting at four and seven with wins against Sarah Lawrence, Holy Cross, Loyola of Maryland, and Binghamton. Right? Uh, it's it's a tune-up game. I'm going to be frank with that. I'm going to be honest with that. Sacred Heart has not been great this year, even though when you and I were kind of like kind of going over them, previewing them off air just to get ready for the show, we were like, this team probably should be a little better because a lot of the guys uh, that you mentioned that played in the game two years ago against the Sweet 16 team are back, and they're yeah. all legit double-digit or right before double-digit scores. So they're all like legit guys. On the Sacred Heart roster, Nico Gallet leads the team with 14.6 points per game. He's also averaging seven rebounds per game, right? Like he's kind of that do-it-all type of guard, six-six, so long and lengthy. That's a little bit of a matchup problem, uh, I, I would say, for yeah. some players in this game. It's well, I think it's 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 a Brown type of game, right? It's one of those type of teams. They're worse if you look at Ken Palm, and I'm, you and I were moaning about Ken Palm before. <laughs> um, Sacred Heart on Kempom is ranked 308. Brown, to put into perspective, is, is 247, right? So Sacred Heart's about 50-plus spots behind Sacred uh, Brown. So this game, not saying we're going to smoke them, but it's one of those games where it's a 130 game on a Saturday. You know what you have on Tuesday against Marquette. You know, everyone knows, right? Like, everyone knows what's coming up on Tuesday. At home, you, I know you want to play against Marquette on Tuesday. Don't look past this game. Take care of business. Uh, do the right things, and you should be okay in this game. 
Yeah, uh, you know, Kim English has to say this in the press conferences because yeah. if he doesn't, it looks bad. You know, he says the re- we always respect – like he always says, you know, this is a program, this is a team we have a lot of respect for. And he has to say that because he's the coach, he's the face of the program. Peter, you and I don't have to say that. We no. should pound Sacred Heart on Saturday. Yeah. Um, if I am a college athlete, or specifically if I'm a Providence basketball player and I just had the week off for finals, I'm salivating at this game because this is an opportunity to put on an offensive clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, it just uh, I'm, I'm being blunt here because it's the reality of this game. Um, you don't want to overlook it and look ahead to Marquette. But you do need to take care of business against Sacred Heart. You can't you, you can't come out of the non-con with a blemish on your resume to Sacred Heart. Um, so, really, Friars need to come out. They need to defend the same way that they defended Brown in the first half of that game through the entirety of this one, and the offense will come. Um, I think this is a good opportunity for Jaden Pierre to get right. I think Corey Floyd is going to have another uh, uh, offensive burst. And, you know, hopefully the Friars will come out with a comfortable win and we'll be sitting at eight and two on the year heading into conference play. Aren't we eight and two right now? Nine and two. Sorry. I was looking at it and it said eight and two. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I didn't lose a lot. No, I agree. I don't know how much, I don't, I don't really have much to offer left in this game, but it's one of those games. I don't know what the spread is because we're recording on Thursday night, but when you're listening on Friday, I'm assuming you guys can find it. Uh, I couldn't find it just because I couldn't find it either. We're two days out, and most games that are not big go um, go live uh, the day before. So, yeah. and the fact that it's not a game that everyone's losing their mind about. Yeah, I'm going online right now. Yeah, nothing. But it's on Fox Sports One, so you don't have to watch on Fox Sports Two because Fox Sports Two looks like it's filmed on a potato or by <laughs> a potato for some some absurd reason. Uh, Joe, have you ever noticed that Fox Sports Two? Yeah, it's Fox Sports too. And you know, brutal. You know what else I hate is when Lapis is on the call when we play on CBS Sports. Like he yeah. just says the most obvious of things. Oh, well, that was a nice pass by Bryce Hopkins. Like he's really good at that. Like, okay, thank you for your genius commentary. Tell us, tell us more about how you were a coach at Villanova. Like it, it, every time he's on the call, it goes back to when not when I was a Villanova. Like, okay, we get it. Yeah, I agree. And look, the good thing is most no biggie. Or I don't think we have any biggies, biggies games on CBS Sports Network, so uh, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, but yeah, I was just wanted to put it out there. Fox Sports Two is filmed on a potato. <laughs> yeah. potato. For Sorry, some, I don't know why that triggered the CBS Sports. For some reason, it's filmed on a potato. But Fox Sports One, great quality. Uh, oh yeah. Great the broadcast and i love fox sports one so one fox sports one that's the yeah. best part of the game that we're on fox sports one and not fox sports two but i got nothing else from the sacred arc game one, <laughs> one, one more comment from me uh as i'm just looking over my last stuff here sacred heart has lost five in a row and yes. their leading score uh was also the leading score the last time we played them so keep in mind right like these are kids that have pride and memories like i'm sure galette remembers losing by 30 to Providence two years ago. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Sacred Heart comes out energized and ready to play. We just got to shut him down from the tip. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. It's I would like to see a first half uh, similar to the Brown game. 
Yeah. Well, 13 points is hard to replicate, uh, but if you go up, if you up double digits going into halftime, I'll be satisfied. Uh, control the second half and get ready for Marquette on Tuesday. Well said. All right. This one will be at 1.30 p.m. this Saturday on Fox Sports 1. As it stands right now, there is no spread, but ESPN Analytics has Providence favored by 94.1%. Uh, do with that what you will. Um, for Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. You can find us at Providence POV wherever you listen to your podcast content. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.